think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, you huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. Massive thanks to Alex Pye for the epic morning of Sydney Music News. If you missed anything she played, you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here at the station. Now, have you got a dream job? Because my guest on the show today is someone who I'd say has arguably one of the best jobs in the world. And that's not to say it's a breeze. It's definitely a lot of work, but it combines two Aussie favourites, really. It combines rock music and surfing. His name's Vaughan Blakey, and he's a surf journalist who's currently serving as the editor-in-chief at Surfing World magazine, Australia's oldest surfing publication. And in his spare time, he also hits stages around Australia and the world with one of the country's most popular surf rock bands, The Goons of Doom. It's a life well lived, which undoubtedly has some incredible stories to <laughs> tell. So, Vaughan, mate, thank you so much for coming on the no show today. Good now, to be here. Look, naturally, though, we've got to get into your childhood because obviously you were at the beach a lot, you surfed a lot. But, I mean... Bouncing into the media, how did that whole thing happen to you? Like, why didn't you just go down a traditional route of trying to be like a grommet, you know, on, on the circuit or whatever? How did, how did you get into the oh, media man. side? It's, yeah, I mean, I actually would have loved to have just done that traditional route of going through the uh, junior circuits and, and becoming a great or a good enough surfer to qualify for the world tour and, and have that dream. I mean, I had uh, all the photos on my wall of all my heroes and access to uh, surf movies and all sorts of cool stuff when I was grom. But really, uh, what sort of steered me in a path towards media was uh, in about 1992, uh, I went from living in Byron to living out the back of uh, Maxville, which is sort of uh, Nambucca Heads, that sort of mid-north coast area. Know the area well. Yeah, (laughs) I I went and did a year living with my dad on a farm in the middle of nowhere, so I couldn't surf that much. And uh, I ended up just being uh, pretty landlocked. And um, I had a careers advisor who... Uh, it was coming up to work experience time and he was saying to us, you know, like, aim big. Don't just sort of take the easy way out and, and think of work experience as two weeks off just bludging and, you know, smoking bongs with your buddies or doing whatever <laughs> you're going to do. He literally said, you know, aim big. And I had a, a tracks mag sticking out of the top of my bag and I just went, yeah, I'll just go do work experience at tracks. And uh, I did that for two weeks and um, a year later they rang up and, and hired me straight out of school. I didn't even finish school. I actually left in the first week of year 12. So that, wow, that started everything. Yeah, it was a real, really just decisive moment in my life and it, and it changed everything instantly because that two weeks was the best two weeks I'd ever had. I couldn't believe it. I was just such a surf nerd, mate. That is incredible. Yeah. So what kind of characters were you working with when you first did that internship, I guess? Oh, yeah, well, 94 Surf Media. Um the ironic, most craziest thing was that tracks the biggest surf mag in the world. I thought I was going to be going down to some like m- mansion on the beach, run by you know <laughs> great looking blokes and you know having uh, great looking girls come by and all my heroes hanging out and all this. And it was so far from that. It was in Darlinghurst. It was uh, basically uh, on Boundary Street, just down behind the Albury. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you can like ninety four, mate. It was popping off. That whole area was just you know it was the uh, a really like high level explosive just party scene uh 
lots of uh, gay and lesbian action going around with uh, a lot of the floats being built out the back of the office. And that's awesome. Yeah, man, it was just a it was a really cool thing for just a little rural country kid to come down and just be exposed to. So were you like 17 or 18 at this stage? Uh, yeah, it would have been a week after my 17th birthday I got the wow, job. So that was insane. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. And um, the characters, they were just the big dogs of, of surfing, mate. We had like guys like Peter Crawford, who was uh, one of the best water photographers in the entire world. He was floating around at that stage, but he'd had a a punch on with the publisher of the mag so he wasn't actually allowed to contribute he had to um deliver photos to us in a in a uh, phone box up yeah, the road in yellow envelopes because he wasn't allowed to actually set foot in the building uh we had uh gary dunn was the editor at the time he was great we actually um had uh just so many uh real kind of like last of uh the last days of just the wild, wild print media side of things before, um, yeah, it was a, it was a privately owned publishing house, Mason Stewart. But you know, for a seventeen year old kid, the other cool thing was that they owned Playboy magazine, and uh, they did a lot of the castings upstairs. And and you know, you just you couldn't it's believe it. I mean, I wasn't getting the mansion by the beach experience, yeah. but I was definitely getting that. Uh, you know, like this a whole another side of life that I never even would have, you know, actively sort of chased or yeah, yeah. or experienced had i not had this opportunity it sounds so wild wild west like i mean the, the media industries these days and just work in general it's so um i guess kind of constricted and so proper and conservative in many ways like there's nothing wild or gung-ho about it but it sounds like back then people were just going for it and just living there was just no uh social media there was no internet when i started um the magazines themselves were cut and paste together um the, I actually can't get my head around how a magazine was even made back then, you know, because it's just the amount of work that had to go into laying up a single page, you had to, yeah. you know, without going into it too much. It was just hours and hours of work uh, from printing the photos, tracing them up, sending, uh, you know, bromides off and back, proofreading. The whole process was a disastrous, crazy thing, but you got it done in a month. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was Wild West because um, the – it was so much more powerful and um, the culture around that power was really intense. So mm. Tracks had a reputation at that time that was just as big as any magazine or, or surf publishing uh, giant in the world. It was on par with anything. And uh, the pressure uh, of what that brings to your job leads to uh, you know, letting off steam in big, big ways. So there was yeah. a huge drinking culture huge party culture massive pub culture and uh that was pretty reflective of surfing at the time as well because you know um it was way before the gfc surfing was going fully gangbusters man yeah. like an issue of tracks when i finished working there when it was still a broadsheet newspaper could have 300 pages and two-thirds of those would be ads so you were just it, it was like everyone was on that crazy classic sort of um mid-90s yeah. high of just ripping it's a wild era and I mean like it's changed so much and I definitely want to get stuck into it more but we want to stick to the early days for a bit longer I think but first we've got to take a track so the first song you brought on for us today it's a track by the Johnnies Injun Joe why'd you bring this song up? mate uh, classic surf nerd choice because yeah, when yeah. I was a grom uh, you know um, surf video cassettes were just starting to really have their way and uh, the first video surf movie cassette that I got was Filthy Habits it was pirated and uh, this song was on there, and um, yeah, I had no idea that um, 
uh, Spencer Jones, I think, is uh, he was in the B Suburban and played with Paul Kelly, like one of the top fifty guitarists in Australia. Uh, he was in this band, and uh, this was one of my favourite songs. And I used to tape it with my boombox off the TV, so I could listen it, to it in the car. And uh, Sick. yeah, it just brings back instant memories. So sentimental. You're listening to Out of Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is the editor-in-chief of Surfing World magazine, Vaughan Blakey. Now, when you first started in the industry, we've talked about it a little bit. It's the wild, wild west. It's it's chaos, but beautiful chaos. And you talked a bit about meeting some of these, like, you know, idols of yours that you, you know, that work in the surfing industry. But what about meeting some of the actual surfers themselves? Like, you know, when did you first start interacting with some of the huge guys back in those days? Oh, man, the, the very first day I started, um, I walked in and I'm just, you know, this nervous little surf fan. Um, somehow jagged the dream job, like you say, 17. And there was really nothing about surf. Like I felt like my 
knowledge of surfing was really, really uh, expansive and deep. Even when I was 17, I knew I knew more than just what was hot at that time, you know, because I'd read my dad's surf mags growing up and he had a really awesome collection. And he was also really good mates with a guy named Mech Sumter, who was a surf filmmaker. And so he had access and did a lot of distribution in those days of old surf movies. So I, I came in with quite decent knowledge of what was going on. But yeah, so I, I got in for my first day at work and who walks in? This guy called Johnny Boy Gomes, who at the time was the heaviest surfer in Hawaii one of the heaviest surfers in the world. You know, he had uh, basically a body like, you know, a sock full of walnuts. He just had no neck. He had veins coming out of, yeah. you know, muscles and he, he was notorious. He he was the guy who would punch fins out of boards, send guys in, had no qualms slapping up people in the surf, uh, allegedly even hit a high-profile pro surfer woman in the face in the lineup once uh just a really psycho face yeah yeah and um so he comes in and uh my boss he goes right O'Gron, well in you go to interview johnny boy Holmes." and i uh you know i knew exactly who he was and what his reputation was like and i'm just sitting in this room just fumbling with my little dictaphone going oh my god what am i gonna do <laughs> anyway uh we got through it and uh the very last question i couldn't resist you know i just said to him hey um because we, you know, we're getting on pretty famously, and I just yeah. said, "Hey, mate, uh, what do you reckon? Do you reckon like if I come to Hawaii one day, you'll let me have a wave at Pipeline?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, yeah, I'll give you a wave at Pipeline." And then he just goes ice cold, and he goes, "But if you don't go, oh, I'll never call you into a wave again." And I was just like, "You could just see, you know, the crocodile skin go over his eyes," and I was like, "Yeah, right, I interview done, I'm out of here." So uh, yeah, I mean, that was like day one on the job. Uh, awesome. And that was really cool. It was a great little, um, you know, uh, just straight into the fire. And then I think the same week, uh, my boss took me to interview Midget Farrelly, uh, who passed away last year, first ever surfing world champion. Um, when the first ever surfing world titles were held at Manly, he won that when he was 19 years old. And um, so, yeah, I went from interviewing sort of the heaviest, most craziest surfer ever to one of the most legendary and um life's really just continued on like that mate i mean yeah surfers back then gee whiz it was a it was a crazy time there was a lot of uh a lot of parties a lot of hedonism yeah. and um that that particular era i think more so than any other was right in the thick of it yeah, yeah. um so yeah T tell us about that culture of hedonism because it has changed quite a bit but i mean like surfing was really seen as like in that in the 90s and the 80s was seen as like quite a counterculture movement and people were really going for it even professionally i mean what was the vibe at that point in time yeah um well i guess the vibe was one of um you could say it was pretty just like it didn't feel like a big world it yeah. felt like uh if you were a part of the surf community it was, scene. It, it was yeah you were still part of something that did feel a bit counterculture and did feel like even the splits that were going on within surfing then which uh when i started would have been things like old school versus new school so you know you had the old power based surfers the aussie guys who really prided themselves on destroying waves up against this sort of momentum era, new school style of surfing, which was much more progressive, not so much anchored in power, but uh, 
basically just new something new you know mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> there's a big split but even in saying that you were still part of this one big family mm-hmm. and that extended all the way down to the to, down to the beach whereas now surfing it really feels like it's it's everyone's you know you're not uh, counterculture so much you're not part of this sort of movement that only a handful of people understand mm-hmm. <clears throat> i think it's like it's good and bad yeah because we have lost a little bit of um uh, we, I don't know, actually. Yeah, you, you've, you've kind of lost the, the storytelling and the sense of community in one sense. But then again, it's nowhere near as macho. It's, it's much more a broad acceptance of, of how, how you surf and how you want to choose to surf and the things that you're into that surfing gives you. It's, it's much more open. Because mm-hmm. back in the 90s, yeah, it was definitely like you ride a shortboard uh, and you ride a certain way or you're a kook. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it was. And it wasn't until the early 2000s that opinion started to change a bit. And in, in terms of the kind of like the particular people, the notorious people, you spoke about Johnny Boy Gomez, like, but what about like who else was in there that was really kind of pushing the, the envelope when it came to partying and when it came to, you know, all of that sort of stuff? Mate, pretty much everyone. everyone. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I really, um, I, I don't think I'd feel comfortable uh, naming names just purely because, uh, you know, a lot of time's gone by and, and I think people will make make up their minds to tell their own stories in good time. Yeah, but yeah. but there was a very massive culture shift once Kelly Slater came along. Okay. Yeah. That really changed everything and cleaned cleaned up uh, what was essentially, barring, you know, a few guys, mm. uh, a really massive circus, uh, party <laughs> circuit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's one notorious year, um, I think it might have been... Uh, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, Martin Potter won the world title really early, and that year, uh, I think he won it in the first half of the year. Yeah. You know, like they sort of did the math and went, I don't think anyone can win uh, <laughs> beyond this point. And so it, everything just went crazy because all the all the best serves in the world were going. Well, it's a it's a write off the end of this year, and they hit France, which is a notorious party zone, and. Yeah, the stories that sort of like come from that little era are so beyond legendary. I mean, you might have heard one, for example, where this is a, a quite a well-known one, where Mark Ocalupo uh, was having, you know, a lot of personal issues, a lot of substance abuse issues, and he actually went down the beach uh, for a heat, buried his boards in the sand instead of taking them home and just thought, I'll just leave them here, buried them in the sand, and then tried to swim back to Australia. Yeah, yeah, this is like, I mean, this is a a guy who is clearly struggling with, you know, what's going on. Um, And then his boards got run over by a beach cleaner. So it was just, it was that sort of craziness in that time. Uh, You know, it wasn't like uh, people were really as aware as they are now that someone might have been struggling with certain things back then because it was just, yeah, and it was also just the the times and and the, the culture around the tour. Especially, but now I mean, mate, you won't see a, a top forty-four surfer out during a comp. If you do, it's maybe two days after they've lost, or mm. you know, it's just so different. It's so professional. It's but wild, Kelly yeah. Slater really brought that sweeping, uh, you know, just I guess the broom yeah. brought through, cleaned out the party because you couldn't party and beat that guy. If you didn't already have as big an influence as he has, there, there's just another aspect that he's brought to the world of surfing, right? Mate, I mean. You know, people really uh, had to 
not just be clean. They had to find entirely new ways to beat that guy yeah. because he was just so dominant. And yeah. it didn't really happen until Andy Irons came along, who ironically had uh, his own problems, yeah. but just had enough, <laughs> just had enough, like, uh, you know, unbridled fire and just determination yeah. to just tear him down. I mean, some of the quotes that come out between those two are just all time, man. You know, <laughs> I want to crush his pretty little picture. I want to destroy him. I'd like lie in bed at night and I just dream of punching him in the face. Like, this is how Andy operated. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Mick Fanning is probably the best example of someone who didn't have to find anger to beat Kelly. Could yeah. do it with uh, just 100% focus and dedication and training and ticking all the, all the boxes it's fascinating stuff i mean especially when you think as well like that surfing like these days as well it's like there is something that's so um calming about surfing like you know especially when you're not entering into the competitive world like yeah it can be intense but there's you know that soul surfer side of things mm. so it's just it's a sport it's a, it's an activity that is is filled with so many conflict isn't it and so much like you know kind of contradiction in many ways oh mate it's just nailed it perfectly i mean you, you can paddle out with the best intentions going, you, you, you paddle out on any given day, and I'm sure any surfer listening would understand this, but for those of you who don't surf, I mean, you get down to the beach, it's just a beautiful morning, you're watching the sun come up, you dive in, you instantly feel better just because of the you know the endorphins or the rush that's, that being in the ocean gives you. And then you paddle out and like five macho men might snake you for, for waves for 15 minutes and you just, it can just spin you on your head and, mm. and all of a sudden this soul surfer soul aspect of it goes out the window and you just want to start you know ripping your hair out really um and yeah so that, i mean it is there's a lot of conflict in surfing uh message boards are just full of it i i just don't really engage with that side of things not because i'm not interested in the discussions that go on but more often than not they just degenerate into these kind of like slanging matches that really take away from my enjoyment of surfing as a whole yeah you know i like to think that despite the conflicts and despite all the varying opinions uh passionate as they they are and as educated as they can be i'd rather have uh one-on-one -on -one discussions than just go into the mire of negativity that really takes away from something so beautiful and fun mm. healthy that you know at the end of the day just makes life so much better man it really sure. does. Yeah. Totally. Well, look, we've got to get on to the music again. The next track you got for us, it's one from the Mouldy Peaches. What, what have you bought on from them? Oh, this is a, a, a random weird one. Um, yeah, uh, when I was, or when our band started, the Goons, uh, years ago, we all lived in a big share house. Ozzy's uh, career was Ozzy Wright, the free surfer uh, artist who uh, was really on a bit of a tear, shaking surfing up uh, when he was coming through. He bought a house and we just all moved into it. And nice. yeah, mate, this this CD just landed on my desk at work. I was editing Waves magazine and defunct mag now. And uh, we used to get sent CDs by music companies. And I just went, what is this? Had a hand drawing on the cover. And <laughs> uh, it just became one of the most influential albums we ever heard because it kind of made music sound accessible to us. Mm. Who And we weren't, we, we weren't not musicians. We'd never played music. We'd never done it, and we didn't know it at the time because we hadn't started the band yet, but this song, uh, yeah, have a listen. I mean, you can hear it, but these guys are actually brilliant songwriters, and, and we'll talk about more about that, I suppose, when we get yeah. into the Goon stuff. For sure. Let's do it.
Sucking dick for ecstasy Paid a seven-year-old hooker to make out with me Now the game I shacked just a memory Downloading form with Dave-O Downloading form with Dave-O Put a latch on the door so mama don't know that I'm downloading porn with Dave-O But I came up short So I fucked a little waitress in exchange for a snort My girl's got a dick hanging out of her shorts Me and Eric in the bathroom with the weather report Downloading porn with Dave-O Downloading porn with Dave-O Put a latch on the door so mama don't know that I'm downloading porn Dave-o. Oh, baby, I know you love the good old days Cruising on the Long Island Expressway I used to be dead, but now I'm gay All I ever think about is drowning, drowning Downloaded porn with Dave-o Downloaded porn with Dave-o Put a latch on the door so mama My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is the editor-in-chief of Selfing World magazine and also the guitarist in the Goons of Doom, Vaughn Blakey. Now, speaking of the Goons, we were speaking about them before the break. Um, you know, it's a band that like has this incredible underground following around Australia and the world, but people might not know that. And I want you to kind of tell us about the kind of fanfare that you guys receive when you go overseas. Because here, you know, you play in little venues in front of, you know bunch of froth and grommies but you've had some pretty crazy experiences overseas haven't you oh man it's it's like it's going on 13 years or something and uh yeah depending on who you talk to we're either the most overachieving underachievers or the most <laughs> underachieving overachiever i don't know it's like it's such an epic thing because before we started the band it was just four best mates and um we started the band and uh you know, all the way through till now, it's always been about our friendship more than the band. It sounds cheesy, but uh, the band has just allowed us to keep our friendships firing on full steam. You know, like despite the fact we've all had kids and done other things, uh, it gives us a reason to get together and we absolutely just have the sickest time. And yeah, man, you're right. Like some of the things we've gotten to experience over the years is uh, crazy. And that fanfare overseas... I think comes from um, the fact that when the internet first sort of became prevalent in everyone's lives and uh, as a place for entertainment, you know, when uh, in the old days, if you wanted to watch a surf movie, you had to go down the shops, you had to buy a $50 cassette, you had to go home and that's all you, that's all you got. Mm -hmm. And maybe a snippet of surfing on the news or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, when 
the whole Napstar thing. Do you remember that happened? And yeah, yeah. and people were just suddenly realizing you couldn't just put any song you wanted on surf clips. So everyone was making all these surf clips, but nobody had any music to use, and we just gave all our stuff away for free. So for a while there, it felt like you couldn't go online and watch any surf clip from anywhere in the whole world without one of our songs on it. <laughs> and as a result, yeah, we'd we'd sort of start getting these opportunities and traveling around and we'd turn up to places and they'd just be popping off, like just packed out, people singing every word and we what were just tripping, mate. Well geez, I mean, um everywhere from Japan, like non English speaking countries, Japan, Ecuador, Panama, Costa Rica, <laughs> uh, up and down both coasts of uh, the USA, uh, Spain, France, everywhere. Uh, we, and they knew exactly who you were. They were singing your songs. Yeah. I mean, the most ridiculous one for me was uh, turning up years ago, uh, a French guy who worked for uh, Rip Curl. I think he saw us play down at, at Bell's one year. And he just said, oh, you've got to play this festival in France. And... <laughs> The band was all into it, and uh, I turned up a week before everyone else. And uh, they picked me up from the airport, and they sort of took us to this cafe, and I'm sitting there, and this bus drives past, and it's just got goons of doom down the side of the bus, and I was just like, what? <laughs> and then, you know, like huge, and I'd like never even seen it. I didn't even know that that was going to happen. How funny Yeah, that? and then uh, he took me to a house party, and I walked in, and they were literally playing goons on the radio and I walked in and everyone turned around and was just going goons of doom and it was just <laughs> and that uh, festival that we ended up playing was to like 20,000 people on the beach in uh, Biarritz and yeah. I think we were all just like walked out on stage and just went oh my god like what what is this <laughs> but yeah I mean it's just uh, there's just so many of those experiences man and um, yeah there's, there's been a million of them they're all so wild i mean we always pinch ourselves and sort of look around you know like we i think i was telling you the other night we opened for hole when we were uh, part of the south by southwest big aussie barbecue that glenn dickey you know does the aussie showcase every year and you know uh that was pretty crazy don't look at courtney don't talk to her don't touch (laughs) it all that stuff and then um yeah the same trip uh you know like hanging out with Damien Marley and Nass and Mariachi or Bronx and doing all these things that really like none of us ever thought about. There wasn't always this ambition, but there was definitely a really solid sense of what we were doing we really loved. Give us a little bit of a background into into how the band actually started because it's quite a funny story. Yeah. So we, like I said, we all lived in this house at Narrabeen uh, with Ozzy. And then um, my brother rang me up one day. He was editing Waves magazine. And he said he wanted to make a surf movie, but he didn't want to make just, you know, surfing and clips. So he said, can you write a script? And so uh, Ozzy and I sat down, wrote this script. Uh, He said, go for it. Uh, We filmed it in something like a week and cut it together in two weeks. And three weeks later, we had this movie called Dope Youth that just sort of went ballistic and um it's it's like a film that's got quite a cult following yeah oh, it's huge it's huge i was talking to joel parkinson who plays one of the you know really hilarious sort of cameos towards the end of the movie uh and he's got a couple of classic lines in it and he said the the other day when i saw him he was saying you know what i won the world title but do you reckon anyone ever comes up to me and says you know well done on winning the world title because that was you know t- 2012 i think yeah, yeah he goes no nah. they all come up to me and go who the fuck are them fuck 
<laughs> That's one of his lines. No way. People just still scream it to him in the surf. Imagine that. Yeah. Like you've worked your whole career to win a world title and then everyone just remembers you from a funny little skitty movie for like... Exactly, man. It's crazy. And we had, uh, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things that just uh, hit the mark at the right time. And... Um, but yeah, the band kind of formed legitimately for the first time out of the props we bought for that film. And I think the first three shows we ever did, we were actually called Dope Youth. Yeah, but yeah. then we changed it to the Because to give a bit of context on the film, guys, the film is basically based around a, a bunch of blokes living on the beach who enter into a, a you know a band competition, right? Yeah. Battle of the Bands. Yeah, they're so, ne'er-do-wells. They're just uh, these hopeless surfy gronks. <laughs> uh, all the characters were based uh, on sort of like exaggerated versions of what their perception in the surf media was yeah so you know everyone was thought Aussie was just this I don't know city urban uh, scummy street urchin you know because of his fashion or whatever at the time he was copping heaps of heat for it so we just like blew that out and had him sort of like you know dressed in leathers and cutting his chest up and all that sort of stuff but yeah, that, that's right they enter the battle of the bands and they go up against Kelly Slater's band which is uh, a Christian rock band and they lose. <laughs> Spoiler. It's an absolute classic. If you do get a chance, go online and check it out. I think you can find it pretty much anywhere online these days. Yeah, I think it, the whole thing's on one of those things. Yeah. You'll, you'll find it up there. It's Dope Youth and it's an absolute cracker. But look, moving on to the music again, we've got Our Sunshine, Ground Components. So tell us about this song and why you brought it on. Yeah, uh, well, we've had the opportunity over all these years to play with just some of the best bands ever. Um, played either support or great bands have supported us and uh you know a lot of them have gone on to do pretty wonderful things i might add <laughs> but uh yeah this this band uh was one of the best bands that we played with um i remember actually when we were making dope youth they were getting played on fbi a lot we were oh, listening yeah. to this in the car when we were driving from sort of scene to scene and um yeah they're a melbourne band the indra and dallas uh who played bass and uh keyboards and stuff unbelievable musicians they produced our second album which was called uh i hate my hair and i want to die i think (laughs) (laughs) that's a great title yeah and uh so we just love these guys and they're just honestly one of the most powerful live shows we got to tour with them a bunch and just legends man
Listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Vaughn Blake. He's the editor in chief of Surfing World magazine, and also, you know, just plays a little part in a little band called the Coons of Doom. Now, look, you've, you've done something recently. Like, you know, obviously your life has revolved heavily around this kind of, I guess, the intersection of, of surfing and music. And you've just made a film about this. Can you run us through the kind of concept of this latest film? Yeah, it's a basically dope youth, but in real life (laughs) it's weird um well just at the moment uh through the goons and and just the fact that we do tour a lot uh we come in contact with a lot of young bands who are up and coming uh you know we're always sort of either playing alongside at at little festivals or or having bands support us or we're supporting bands that are just on fire and i just feel like the the young music scene at the moment uh in particular sort of leaning towards that you know urban punky just guitar rock again is just just on such a tear there's just so many great bands the pinheads and the dumb punts and uh the skeggies obviously they're ripping and all these bands have just been sort of on this wave of just really yeah it's a movement so uh as a part of that movement there's lots of bands with um great surfers in them and uh, normally, you know, when you go away and you make a surf movie, it, it's, it's sort of done in these three different steps. You, you go and do all your filming, mm-hmm. you uh, sort of get all your surf footage, and then you get home and you edit it. And in that sort of uh, that process, a lot of it is, is lost. You know, a lot of the vibe of the trip is lost, even just the hanging out and the, the real world kind of things that go on when you're hunting for surf. You know, so much of it gets lost, especially in the age of the web clip where people are just all about getting the most high performance grabs that they can get. So the idea with this one was um, basically just to set up a studio um, as home base, a music studio. Uh, we took Paul Bianco down, who um, you may or may not be familiar with, but he's been a sound engineer and a, a great musician himself for, around Sydney for a long, long time. Uh, so he was willing to sort of throw himself on the fire and and play producer to uh, a basically a, a big bunch of surfers, most of whom couldn't couldn't play, few who could. And, uh, yeah, we just wanted to see if we could capture the energy of what was going on in the water and uh, the friendship and that sort of kinetic excitement that goes on on a surf trip 
which is really unique, uh, and try and capture that in in sounds. And and we really weren't did not have high expectations for the music. I was just going, look, there's enough guys here where we could probably scratch together some at least something that will resemble what went down on the trip. And it'll be honest. It'll be a really like you can't go home and go oh you know this happened let's try and capture that you know it was like let's just reflect exactly what the energy was like and mate it came out so incredible like i was just tripping and we ended up having a few uh you know really great musos stop by i think we had uh, ruby fields who's you know an up-and-coming singer-songwriter from uh cronulla or down around that way she called in and did a couple of songs and then billy fleming from hockey dad played on a few and nice. yeah really great great people and the energy of it is just locked in i mean everything about that film is captured in that 10 days nothing was done back in the studio other than just piecing it together it sounds like it would have been absolutely ridiculous and hilarious to be on that trip i mean what do you think will come from that though like i mean what are your hopes for the film and like you know what do you want it to do in the industry because i guess there is these days this huge divide between I guess the free surfer and the kind of culture of surfing and the sport of surfing now. I mean, do you hope a film like this kind of influences, uh, I guess, the surfing world to go back to its roots in a way? Yeah, yeah, I think so a little bit. I think um, it's funny, you know, my hope when we were making it was just to have a document at the end that was real to uh, the moment. That was it. I, I wasn't really that concerned with what it was going to... T- you know, I wasn't that concerned about crafting it mm. while we were away. Um, it's funny that you say sort of like, you know, returning to its roots because to me, uh, a film that really feels similar to Scary Good, very, very different sort of uh, mindsets in the making of it, but Morning of the Earth is a really classic film that showcases surfers getting away from contests, getting away from uh, cities embracing an alternative lifestyle of, of health, um, simple living on the North Coast. You know, that was a real document of its time. And I think half the reason why it's got such longevity is because it wasn't contrived. It wasn't those guys going, hey, let's um, do a trip up the coast and capture this and preserve it and all that. But they did that anyway, yeah, just yeah. because they they were just so real about their intentions. And Albie being the just guru legend that he is, you know, would have just brought so much uh, connectivity with all those guys at that time and it was a full movement and you're right there is a full movement going on now there's a there's a I never knew actually until just recently just how far the divide between the sort of WSL and the pro surfing world is to where these guys who are like Creed McTaggart, Ellis Erickson, Bo Foster and Wade Goodall and all these guys who are surfing uh, for pure you know really different reasons it's all fun at the end of the day so we can still fit under that umbrella but yeah there is a huge culture divide going on because one sport and one is about enjoying you know like uh, a bigger world than surfing i guess is what what you'd say so is it possible to these days to make a a living doing it both ways i mean obviously the industries are not where they were pre-gfc and and so there's not not as much money around like i mean can you sustain both as an industry do you think yeah yeah you definitely can and i think the main reason being is that surfing does reward creativity um whereas you know uh sports where there's a finish line or a point game 
uh, style is a really hard thing to reward in those areas. You know, you can be uh, have a beautiful style playing tennis, but it doesn't get you paid if you're not winning games. Uh, in surfing, uh, yeah, you definitely you can be a, a, a Lou Reed or an Iggy Pop type character in surfing, never win a heat, never even go in a contest. And that's something that uh, Aussie, you know, who's um, in the goons as well, he's he's been one of those guys who really led the way that and showcased that you can take that other path, uh, be completely true to yourself and, and what you want out of surfing and, and make a career from it. And there are definitely guys doing that right now, mate. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to get on to the music again. And then when we come back, we might talk a little bit about a trip you just took recently over to the middle of bloody nowhere to surf a wave. Completely landlocked. But before <laughs> we do, look, we've probably got time here to play two tracks back to back. So what do you reckon? You've got you've got Ruby Fields, Scary Good, from the film, this one, is it? This v- VB, is that from the film? Is it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She came in, dropped uh, VB, which is just an awesome song. Just nice. right in. Bang. One take. In and out. And then you've also got a track um, from a band that is also in the film, Wash. Tell us about this song and, and, and why you got this one on. Well, Wash is a band made up of professional surfers. Uh, Creed McTaggart plays bass, does the vocals. Ellis Erickson uh, is on guitar and Bo Foster on drums. And those guys just, man, I don't know what it is, but they just tapped into whatever the the movement that we were talking about before, that young crazy kinetic sort of energy that's coming out of rock and roll in um, Sydney and Melbourne and Brizzy and all over the place in Australia right now. And uh, they just started their band. I think maybe even Jimmy from the Dumb Punts was going, mate, you guys got to start a band. Like, you're all hanging out every day. Like, why don't you just wow. do it? And they are just sick. Like, they're so good. Real drivey. Credo's got, like, a mad front man stees and great vocals. And, you know, the other night... they. They played with Iggy Pop in Hawaii. You're kidding. He jumped on stage and played three songs with them in the front yard at Pipeline. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, you know, from (laughs) from two years ago, literally not knowing how to even play an instrument to have an Iggy Pop lead your band is is just a, a showcase to sort of just how good they and how quickly they tapped into the energy, I reckon. You can't kind of fake it with Iggy, can you? No, definitely not. Let's work it out.
Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today has been the editor-in-chief of Surfing World magazine, Vaughn Blakey. He also plays in a little band called The Goons of Doom. Now, look, we couldn't let you go without talking about a little trip you just took because, you know, for anyone out there who's ever surfed and anyone who's just kind of been privy to the surf media in recent times, I mean, the idea of creating a man-made wave has been something that probably most surfers have always dreamed about and always thought about. And talked about for a long time now because people have been trying to do it and Kelly Slater obviously has done that now mm. and you actually got to go surf the wave oh, mate gee whiz oh, where do you even start I mean even when I got the ticket when I got the call up I was so freaked out I was losing sleep instantly <laughs> just because um, I mean I don't know if anyone else did this but I used to lie in bed when I was nine years old and imagine having a wave pool under my house that I could catch an elevator downstairs to and just go and surf by myself. I'm like not even joking. Yeah. So yeah, he uh, is a guy and Kelly's just got a mad mind. Uh, anyone who, who knows surfing just knows just how deeply complex his brain works. He's a mad researcher and self-educator and he managed to just somehow do the impossible and, and build a perfect wave. And it's really set the surfing world into this frenzy of like is this good is this bad what does it mean so many questions mm-hmm. uh but you know the ocean's not going anywhere it's uh th- there's definitely you know questions to ponder about how it's going to change surfing maybe but to me it was just like let's just let this thing exist for a little while see the first few runs on it see how they run the comps like you know give it a chance to to be something before you just right burn it to the ground kind of yeah. thing you know but yeah so getting a call up i was so curious and uh yeah we flew all the way over there to uh lamore 
I think it is. It's right near Fresno, which is like the ice capital of it's America. It's nowhere, just it's it? in the middle of nowhere, mate. <laughs> it's crazy. There's not there's not a mountain or a hill within like visible sight. Yeah. Dead flat farmland. The uh, the land around there stinks. Like it just is such a hideous <laughs> farmlandy kind of you know like. You know that it's already like the opposite of what surfing. Is it's it's so opposite. It's so opposite. You get there, it's this like I don't know half a k dead flat rectangle <laughs> lake, and then um, yeah, you sort of you paddle out into a, a basic pool, and then you just hear this noise. You just hear this juk 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 juk, and it gets faster and faster, just like a, a roller coaster. You know the the yeah, chain yeah, dragging you up, and then all of a sudden you're just staring at this uh, head high perfect perfect barrel and um it is perfect it is a really really fun uh juicy enough wave that (laughs) barrels perfectly and you just can't believe your eyes or the feeling the feeling you get from it is 100 percent surf stoke it's so bizarre imagine like being being a little kid and dreaming of something like that and eventually being right there yourself when it's first invented would be i can imagine probably the most trippy feeling ever well, look, Vaughn, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks, Serge. We do have time for one last track, though. I think it's probably appropriate to play a Goon song, though, right? Yeah, okay. Mate. Yeah. Yeah, why not? As far as we're, we're in Sydney and you're a classic Sydney band, so I reckon we've got to chuck one on from you guys. What, what, what do you reckon? What do you feel like playing? Oh, jeez, man. I mean, uh, I've, I've sent a few through, but we are working on a new album for all the uh, the Goons fans out there. And nice. thanks very much for following us over all these years. It's always so sick to have everyone come to the shows. But I was thinking we may as well take one from the Chrissy album, mate. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a Christmas album. We did it a couple of years ago. Nah. It's called Scary Christmas. So uh, I, I reckon we might play Killer's song from uh, Scary Christmas. Killer really brings, you know, the hard, hard cold black rock and roll heart to our band <laughs> the rest of us are just sort of like pop sensitive little you know i don't know flimsy little surfy dudes but killer really brings you know he's, he's the heart of the band when it comes to just bring the rock so yeah let's play uh his heavy christmas song perfect well thank you so much mate it's been an absolute pleasure and uh yeah here's the goons guys <laughs>